Hi, it's Thomas. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know that there is sometimes background noise of people walking and talking up and down the stairs in the venue. I try to minimize the background noise as much as possible, but sometimes it's notable. Also, I want to let you know that on the website neonmaria.com podcast, you can watch videos and images of the projects we talk about in the episode. And you can support the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash thomasdam. It would mean the world to me. And if that's not in the works for you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find out about the show. And now, without any further ado, here's the show. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Neo More Show. My name is Thomas Daam. Today we are at Vict Amsterdam and I have the pleasure to talk with Alex Cornell. He is currently lead designer of Facebook Live. Prior Facebook, he co-founded Moonrise, Uber Conference and he worked at ISO 50 Terco. Do I pronounce it right? Mm -hmm. And you're also um, a very known musician. <laughs> yeah. Because you have 5 million followers yeah. on, on Spotify. Yeah, Spotify has been good. Um, so I, I suppose I suppose the answer is yes. <laughs> How did that happen? Um, well, I've been I've been trying to do music for a long time. Uh, and I started on YouTube when it was kind of getting going and, and built an audience there. Uh, but then when I started working more, it was harder to do YouTube. So I put more of my music on Spotify, which is a little bit more hands off. Yeah. But you have the benefit of uh, it being able to spread really easily, in my case, through playlists. So some of my music gets put on uh, playlists and then those get consumed uh, a lot you know way beyond what I ever could have imagined mm -hmm. uh, so, and I, I consider that to be mostly luck because I had nothing to do with that right. putting it on certain playlists so I've been very lucky there I don't, I'm not really involved at all anymore the mm -hmm. songs that were recorded many years ago so yeah, yeah. are they self-written songs or are they covers it's a mix but it's a very very um insubstantial mix in that I'd say 95% are covers uh, which is part of why I, I haven't really been super motivated to push it along because it's mostly cover music so and I think when you're getting started that's a good way to do it because people are familiar with the song but they're not familiar with you so it's yeah. a good introduction um, I think where I do have kept it up I would have started writing more but I never did while making music you got interested in graphic design yeah. which you explained in your talk mm -hmm. uh, very briefly yeah uh, from the next thing led to another and how does audio and video involve because I see mm. that video is very important in your work how do you make the transition from graphic design to video mm. to you know when I started in design uh, that was obviously really interesting and exciting for for a time um, video though since you add so many other layers with sound obviously with moving images and when you do that it can feel I think really empowering as a creative person because now you have that many more channels to play with right and uh, I think once I started exploring that it was hard to go back to st especially static imagery uh, you know, when I was in school, what I learned to do was make static layouts with static content. You know, if you have this page and this content, make it look beautiful, you know. Mm. And now I, I haven't done anything like that in many years because everything is now dynamic and everything is has to be rendered on so many different devices. And there is sound and all these things. And it's, uh, it's I don't know, it's a more interesting problem, I think, to be solving. Yeah. So what's the main problem you are trying to solve? Uh, well, these days, the any m main problem I try to solve is usually interface related. Um, since I work for Facebook, I do um, 
primarily mobile interface design. And the tricky part about that is always that uh, the content is always going to be different. So every video is going to come with a different aspect ratio, different uh, look, everything is going to change. Um, the metadata associated with that is also going to be highly variable. The way users interact with it also. So you have to plan for every possible contingency, not only of content, but of also like every rendering environment. So every different phone, desktop, every different country, different language. And at a certain point, it can start to feel sort of like an impossible problem where it's like, make this look good and understandable in every language, on every phone, with every possible combination of content. And staring down the barrel of that problem can be very intimidating. Yes. How do you tackle that? Well, there are a number of different ways, and I think probably the primary weapon that we use that uh, I never had before in my previous work uh, is a combination of research and data. So, you know, when, when I was in school doing graphic design, like, I'm not testing anything. Like, you're just doing your thing and then handing it in to the teacher. These days, anytime I make anything, uh, we have to understand that we need much more signal than just our own personal inclination. So when I make something that I think is pretty good and has a, you know, personally I feel like is a good solution to the problem, uh, then we can take it into the lab and show it to 10 or 15 people uh, and see how, if we're accurate, if it is a good solution. Um, and then once it's out in the world, you can then actually test that with real data so you get a much higher signal of whether the thing you're trying to be is successful at all. And that's, that's really powerful. And I think uh, there's obviously other things like critiques with the team, uh, feedback from my peers. That, but those are pretty standard in most jobs where you can get that. I think it's really our ability to learn at scale that's been helpful to help solve problems at scale. Right. You know. And previously you recorded stuff yeah. and put graphic layers on top of it. Yep. Are you now benefiting oh. from that? Or? Yeah. Well, it's very. it certainly is very different. I mean, and I think you, you alluded to why the fact that people are actually using what you design as opposed to just looking at it. Yeah. It's like a, it's an enormous difference, um, but it can. it's a really exciting one. I do feel like I still benefit from that work, even though it was completely different. You know, it's it's a creative hypothetical short film, basically. It's not, not nowhere close to uh, interface design for, for <laughs> Facebook. But I think what it did have and what I still try to bring to my work now is uh, an element of, and I don't want to, I, I, I guess, the word I would say is create creativity, which is that uh, it's trying to take the format and do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's an element of that still even in interface design because you, you never want to stray too far from established patterns that people are familiar with. But there is usually a creative angle you can take with a problem that can help you solve it and also can help the people that are eventually going to use it see it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so in that in that way it's similar, but it's it's really just similar insofar as that uh, my mind creatively is a muscle and that stuff just kind of got me into shape and then now I'm able to work out at a higher rate and pace. But it, I don't I don't do that kind of work very often at <laughs> Facebook, of course. Before you worked at Facebook, you started several companies mm -hmm. that are always based on video. Oh yeah, the first company. Um, that I mentioned, Firespotter, and we made a product called Uber Conference. While I was there, I was the designer, so you know, I was making our interfaces and that kind of thing. But I also did a lot of our marketing videos, right. uh, and some of which I showed in the talk. And I think that doing that really turned me on to how fun video could be. 
And so after, I think it was about four and a half years, I left Firespotter to start Moonbase, which was um, the company in between Startup World and, and Facebook. And the point there was basically to take this medium that I'd come to love so much mm-hmm. in video and try to turn it into a business, which I did. But um, I would say what I wasn't fully ready for was the full brunt of what client work is, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd forgotten kind of, cause I'd done freelancing when I was in school, but I'd forgotten how intense client work can be and how much I don't like it. Uh, and that can sound kind of privileged, but I think um, I just know when it comes to working, I prefer, prefer to be in house basically. And so it took me maybe a year to realize that uh, trying to do, make it work with Moonbase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then that's when I switched yeah. to Facebook. Yeah. But is it also that when working at Moonbase that you make more music and now less or because you can put all your, crea- all your creative thinking in, yeah. in the Facebook? Uh, it, it's a, I mean, that's a really good point. And uh, I think that I do feel, and I, I felt then like I had a lot more creativity to spend, so to speak on the, on the weekends or you know after work I would have a little bit more energy these days I feel like that I don't have that and I think it's because my theory is and I hope I'm right uh, is that I am using enough of my brain during the work day that when I get home I don't feel the need to I don't have any extra cycles and while that can be kind of sad sometimes because you want to you know you always want to be doing extra work um, I think that uh, it can be kind of exciting to think that you're at least getting the most out of every day in that way right. and so I think I try to look at that as what fulfillment looks like but I'm still trying to figure out if that's true or mm-hmm. not so you're living in, in San Francisco yep. and how does this um, environment of San Francisco mm-hmm. does it elevate you in the creativity mm-hmm. I think it's helpful it's changed a lot over the 11 years I've lived there I think when I first got there there was a really Um, palpable sense of excitement and optimism around uh, the new wave of, of technology, you know, mm-hmm. with the smartphone. When I moved there, it was the same year the iPhone came out, you know, and that, that ushered in a completely new um, form factor and then like whole sector, right? And since it's been, you know, more than 10 years since that happened, I definitely feel it's a little different now living in San Francisco. For one thing, I, I feel like I could, it's not, it's less unique now. You know, I could go live in Austin, I could go live in Boston, I could go live in New Hampshire, and I feel like I would, there'd still be some element of that excitement right. because it spreads so much. So it's still very helpful because I love living near the water and I just feel comfortable there, and I mm-hmm. think that's a good prerequisite for being creative. But it's lost a little bit of what I would have described before as a, petri dish for mixing all kinds of ideas and mm-hmm. you know new companies and stuff that felt very unique to the location at the time and now not as much so mm-hmm. you're looking for another place no no i think like now i've just come i feel pretty comfortable there and i don't feel like i need to move but if i did i, I think um new york or london is always both have always appealed to right, me right but it's all totally different yeah totally of, um, yeah in your talk you um, speak to yourself in the third dimension yeah and the two persons they say and work on this project yeah and break it down to a certain time and a difficulty level of six yeah for example sure and i was wondering do you always do this with projects <laughs> uh i mean i think that idea is sort of an abstraction of of what happens every time i do set about on a project which is you have this conversation with yourself You know, probably not in such explicit terms as it as it mm-hmm. is in my talk with two different sides and a 
judge, um, but it's sort of the same in the sense that you're always weighing uh, whether or not to do something, how much you have, basically what your energy level is. Like, do you have enough to devote to a project? Um, how hard is it going to be? Is it going to be worth it? And when I when I think about if something worth it, it's, it's less about whether or not um, people will like it or it will do well, mm-hmm. um, and more about will I after the fact feel like I got better at something specific? Yeah, um, that's a big thing for me with those kinds of projects is just making sure that I did advance some skill which I may have not had before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say I don't. It's not exactly like that, but the the push and pull nature of that decision right. is sort of what I'm trying to convey with that arrangement on stage and uh, I feel like that does happen every time but there's no there's no ultimate judge inside my mind no of <laughs> yeah. course not but I mean there's a new camera coming out and you yeah. want to learn yeah. all the facets uh, right. and aspects of this camera or you want yeah. to learn a new skill for yourself right. pushing your boundaries yeah. in a new new area mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's right then that, that's generally the, the decision process for me how can I maximize that Right, yeah. the fun project. Right, yeah, yeah. And then you always want to have fun with it. You know, and there's just some, you know, I, I try not to be super random with what I do. It's usually whatever I'm interested in at that moment or like whatever culture is interested in at that moment. And if I feel like I want to participate in the conversation, mm-hmm. then this sometimes these ideas can be a way to do that. You know, so like the parody commercials for startups, like they're fun, but they're also sort of a commentary on at least at the time, how ridiculous some of the ideas that were coming out were. And those parodies that I made, in some ways, people didn't recognize them as parody because it just looked like real things that yeah. could exist because everything's so ridiculous. Uh, and so in that sense, I feel like I'm able to com- make some commentary on the situation without actually saying anything. You know, I can just make the video and then have people understand. My- yeah, and is it is it something that happens because you are in this epic center <laughs> yeah that specific specifically yes in that case i think being around so much of the the noise of startups and that kind of thing for me that for those projects that definitely where that came from but yeah. uh yeah may, maybe not it still i think resonates with people outside of san francisco because they kind of outside looking in see what's going on but yeah that idea definitely came out of that for yeah. sure yeah so is there something specific that you keep up at night Oh, well, these days, uh, maybe a boring answer, but it's usually my projects at work, yeah. you know, so there's all, there's usually something at work that's happening that is uh, difficult enough that it requires some off hours thinking. Yeah. And like I actually sometimes am pretty productive in those moments, whether I'm walking or in the shower or in bed. And sometimes I'll even plan, you know, like, oh, tonight would be a good night when I do try to fall asleep to think on that thing, you know, right. because I know that it, that sort of unstructured mind wandering can sometimes be pretty helpful. Yeah. So, you know, I don't ever rely on it, but I certainly do um, sometimes look forward to it, you know, because yeah. I've had a lot of good ideas that way. Um, even sleeping, sometimes I'll have ideas and then it's just a matter of remembering them, you know? So yeah, I think uh, it's work that keeps me up almost intentionally, I guess. Um, it's rare that something else will, but that's just because I'm so focused right now, I think. Right. Yeah. But you can remember your dream. You can remember your dream. I wish. I just think it's interesting. Sometimes I'll have a dream where I clearly know more about what I'm dreaming about than I do consciously yeah. and like I'll have a thought that 
awake, I would have thought wasn't possible because I like have some new information, but I'm sleeping. So I couldn't, where could I have gotten this new information? You know, and that's always super bizarre. And then I think the trick would be trying to remember it. And I have a, I have great trouble doing that because I think sometimes when I wake up, I almost don't believe what I'm remembering. I'm like, well, that's a crazy, I I was asleep, you know, and then it's actually maybe a terrific idea, but yeah, it doesn't happen too often. Do you then also have during the day like a deja vu moment? Yeah, uh, that's happened before. That's why I try to write everything down so I can, I can remember when that's the case. Yeah, I I don't have that, so (laughs) I want to round up, but before we gonna do that, um, I always have this section. Yeah. It's called Neon 5. Okay. And it's a question in five categories and where you can give one recommendation. Okay, sounds good. And um, the first one is food. Um, All right. Uh, Well, since we're in Amsterdam, I really liked uh, two places. One was called Tales and Spirits Cocktail Bar yeah. in Amsterdam. Oh, it was great, really yeah. good. Uh, and then I had dinner at a place called The Duchess, which was also fantastic. And I also went to the street market by the I'm Amsterdam sign, yeah. and uh, the food there was great too. Okay. So that's my recommendation. Okay. So we all have to go to Amsterdam. Yeah, local, 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 local news. Okay. Um, movie or television or documentary? Yeah. Hmm. Um, movie... Well, you know, I just rewatched uh, Heat, which is, yeah. I think, one of the best movies ever made. Right. And I could watch that over and over again. So yeah. I, if people haven't seen it, I would recommend that one. Right. Yeah. With Al Pacino and uh, oh, yeah. Robert De Niro. Best combo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, book? Book, I think I, I'm halfway through it, so I don't know if I can recommend it full stop, but it's called uh, The Elephant in the Brain, and it's by uh, a duo one author is named Kevin Simler, and I don't know the other guy's name, but it's about, uh, there's a blog I really like called Melting Asphalt, mm-hmm. and this guy wrote a book with a, a professor, um, and it's about, I, I mean, I, it's it's one of those ones I, I would suggest just picking up, but it's very, very timely, and it's about how our brains work, and, mm-hmm. and especially these days with all the different uh new kinds of factors that yeah. we have so it's it's good it's good i haven't finished it but i'd recommend i'd recommend certainly the blog melting asphalt it's really okay good. and did it influence the blog and the book your talk no but uh, i mean like the structure of the thinking um it might influence a future one but okay. uh not this one i try to write a new talk every time so right yeah not this one okay and person Recommend a person? Yeah, a person that has been important for you. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, you know, I, I think probably the, the easiest answer, because it's the truest, would be Scott Hansen, who most people would know as Tycho. But I think, I, ho- I hope everybody can find this in their creative upbringing, basically somebody who can sort of set them on the right trajectory. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's sort of what Scott was for me. Like, I was pretty young when we met, and felt like I didn't have a lot of taste when we met either and I felt like he was able to imprint his taste onto me which is great when you don't have any you get the you know if this if you find somebody who's got incredible taste and 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 good in uh instincts um I feel like I was able to uh to draft off of that in the beginning and it's been very helpful yeah. so him that would be certainly my recommendation and then uh I sort of hope everybody can find somebody like that. You know, right. I was very lucky. Yeah, it was a sort of a mentor for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's always really good to very, have. Very, very good. Yeah. yeah, 
And um, last one is uh, miscellaneous, something mm. from your life. Oh, okay. Um, that's a good question. Well, I really like, uh, you know, I don't mention it in my talk because it's a side hobby, but I, I picked up uh, a real interest in vintage uh, wristwatches, and I've gone very deep down the rabbit hole in that in that way. And I think what I would recommend, so that that is it for me, but my recommendation would be like finding a hobby that's completely unrelated to your work. I'd never really had that, yeah. and that's sort of what I found in the world of watches because it's just like a super nerdy online community. Like you don't even need to buy anything. You can just, you know, be okay. and I think uh, I found that really helpful because it's a, it's one of the only ways I have to totally unplug from anything I'm thinking about and just focus on something else. And I think that would be my recommendation. Yeah. Find a hobby. Find a hobby, yeah. Not, okay. not very new recommendation but maybe I'm recommending also watches is a good one because it's very visual for designers it's a yeah. good it's a good hobby and would you like to design one or oh, choose yeah. one you have your own I had that I had that thought and I started a note about it I was like how cool would it be to make my own watch uh, the problem is is that there are a lot of people that do that and they take only half of the equation which is the aesthetic side and you'll see a lot of these new companies that have some cool looking watch but then inside they put like a a base movement that you, anybody can buy, you know, yeah. and then it's really just an exercise in branding, and that yeah. is not interesting to me, and especially it wouldn't be interesting to anybody that's actually in the watch world. Yeah. Nobody cares about about that if you you could just stuff a movement in there. So, if you really want to do it, you really have to go for it, you know, yeah. and like either go to school and learn how to be a watchmaker or find somebody who's like you yeah. know has actually has the uh, technical prowess to do that, but. The barrier to entry for actually getting into watchmaking and and doing it for real is huge, yeah. you know. And the the chasm between the casual people that just do it on Instagram, you'll see like ads for some new sexy looking watch. It's like the difference between that and a real, real uh, in house thing is is insane. So, I would love to do it, and maybe after when I when I pull the plug on Silicon Valley, maybe that's the path, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, who knows? Sounds amazing. <laughs> but it, it should be a watch that you um, without battery. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and no sun. sun uh, exactly. Sun yeah, fully mechanical. Yeah. You know the type of watch that. I mean, the type of stuff I like is this stuff that you can f be 40 years old and right. it still works. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. which is just insane. I mean, there's nothing like that. Yeah. There's no other. That's the thing I think is so crazy about it, and that people don't really fully appreciate. It's like these things have been working mechanically right. for like half a deck uh, a century it's insane you know and uh and so cool so yeah it's very interesting space yeah. where can people follow you I'm most active i guess on instagram just my name alex cornell uh i do have a twitter also um so probably those two places i would, su I yeah. would suggest yeah twitter and instagram same name in both places okay yeah and um are you speaking somewhere else later this year uh i'm speaking at fitc toronto yeah. in april okay. um and i will try to do i'm writing a different talk for that one than this one so it should be good it's it's ambitious and and scary which is the right combination so right <laughs> it will have a lot of video in it it will be very yeah I, that's always the I, I hate slides, so every talk I ever give from now on is I hit spacebar one time and then it just goes and yeah. I go for the ride or not, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then you perform. Yeah, before, you perform uh, over it. Yeah. Perform over it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Have you seen the talk by Liam Young? No. He's a, 
um, speculative architect. He has this amazing narrative over all the research that okay. he does. So, cool. Just, I'll check it out. Okay. Hear me on. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. Yeah. Thanks Thank for having so me. Hi, it's Thomas. I want to thank FITC for inviting me and help me set up this interview at the annual conference in Amsterdam. New episodes come out on Mondays. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, neomare.com or wherever you listen to the show. Let me know what you think of the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by dropping a note on Twitter. I'm at Thomas Dam at neomare. And on Instagram at Show. If you are listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast and you find some episode notes. Next to that, Neomarie has a weekly newsletter called Neo Monday with the latest conference news and updates on our digitalized world. You can sign up for Neo Monday at neomarie.com slash subscribe. And now we also have a Patreon page and you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash Thomas Thanks for listening.